You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. We are in the rich, brilliant chapter of Romans chapter 8. And and the hero of Romans 8 is the Holy Spirit. Uh, We're going to see continuing today that it's his chapter detailing his astounding work in the life of the sons and daughters of God. Now, the first statement I'm going to make this morning might sound a little unusual, but you know the Bible is, is filled with warnings of judgment. Over and over again, an indication that God is going to come, is going to send his son Christ, and when Christ comes, he's going to judge, and he's going to rightfully judge. Often we, we come to church, and I know the topic of many of my messages and the topic of many songs we sing is about grace and about love and about mercy, and it should be about grace and about love and about mercy, but I also want you to know that the Bible actually has a lot of statements about condemnation in it. From beginning to end, there's pledges from God that his judgment is going to be severe and his judgment is going to be eternal. It's really one of the primary messages of Scripture. You know, we all know and love John 3.16 because it's another passage about love and about open invitation. God so loved the world that whosoever. But you know, right after that in John chapter 3 verse 18, you see on the screen behind me, here's what... Jesus said in John 3, 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son, condemnation. Paul would write the church at Galatia in Galatians chapter 3, verse 10, he would write all who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. We looked at that last week, that all of us in this house, we cannot restrain our sin. There's no way we can fully continue in all of the obedience and all of the law that was given to us. Because that's, in not doing so, that is where we see this word cursed. So cursed, condemned, judged. This is why Romans chapter 8 verse 1 is such welcome news. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's it's the pivot of of the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1 through Romans chapter 7 speaks a lot about the severity of God's judgment, about the severity of the wrath of God being poured out on those who do not believe, those who rebelled against Jesus, those who rejected the gospel. And then it shifts right here in chapter 8 verse 1. Here's the pivot. But there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I really think it's the pivot of the entire Bible. I think you go all the way through the Old Testament and you see that we cannot keep the law. We hear about this this God of, of wrath. And even when Jesus is preaching, even though we connote him so often with, again, words of mercy and grace and love and kindness and compassion, we also have to connote him with the fact that he said, one day I will come back and I will be riding on the clouds to judge people. I think the entire book of the Bible, Old and New Testament, pivots right here at Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore... Now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In English grammar, and I know you're all excited to hear that phrase in church on a Sunday morning. In English grammar, normally you have a subject, then you have a verb, then you either have a direct object or an indirect object or an adjective or an adverb or some combination of those those four things. 
In Greek, however, the, the word order is really important. So that when you're reading Greek, the New Testament was written in Greek, the most important word of that sentence is the first word. And so the very first word is usually where the, the greatest emphasis is or, or the, the greatest impact is, is, is having in the sentence by the very first word. So I want you to see Romans chapter 8, verse 1, translated out literally from Greek. Here's what it says. No. First word, impact, emphasis. No kind ever is there now condemnation. It sounds like Yoda wrote that. I know. No kind ever is there now condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. In Christ, there is no condemnation ever. Apart from Christ, there is ever condemnation. God's grace, this gift, is given to us through Christ Jesus, listen, by the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why the Holy Spirit becomes the the hero of of Romans chapter 8. The Holy Spirit is the one who applies the, the salvation of God to those who believe in God through Christ Jesus. If you didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit and just turned on your TV, you would think that the Holy Spirit's existence, the work of the Holy Spirit was just to make you, make you happy or to make you roll on the floor laughing or that the role of the Holy Spirit was for some televangelist to stand up in a cheap toupee, an expensive suit and, and kind of toss his coat and everybody just kind of falls backwards. That's what a lot of people might think of the Holy Spirit according to the Holy Spirit on TV that we see. But here's the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 tells us because of the Holy Spirit, the salvation of God has come to us. So with your copy of God's word, let's go together to Romans chapter 8 and let's see the role of the Holy Spirit in our salvation. Romans chapter 8, let's begin in verse 5 together this morning. Either in your copy of God's word or your phone that you might have, whether it's in real form or digital form this morning or paper form, let's go to Romans chapter 8 together begin in verse 5. I'm going to read verse 5 through verse 8. We'll kind of go back and see what God's saying to us. Romans chapter 8, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Stop right there. According to God, there's only two types of people in the world. There are those who live by the impulse. They they function at the impulse of the spirit. Or they function, they, they live at the impulse of the flesh. In the New Testament, God does not spend any time dividing people up by culture or race or skin color or education or gender or material possessions or, or achievement. God says there's two types of people. The one who lives according to the spirit and the one who lives according to the flesh. All throughout the scripture, New Testament especially, we see all kinds of phrases that depict life in those two things. Life in one of those two things. Either life in the spirit or life in the flesh. Let's look first of all for some biblical terms of the flesh. And if you're reading the New Testament right now, some of your own uh, readings of God's word, you're going to see some of these phrases that always describe the flesh. Biblical terms of the flesh include, number one, confidence in the flesh. Or the Bible might call it a boasting in the flesh. Deeds of the flesh, that's the acts of the flesh or the rebellion of the flesh, the rebellious acts of the flesh. Or thirdly, you might see it in the scripture as desires of the flesh, which is the same term as, as like temptation 
to sin, a leaning toward the flesh, a leaning toward sin. All of those are the same thing. Those all reference the same thing. It's it's the biblical term of flesh. And here's what it's saying, that the unsaved are ungodly in all that they do because that's what's natural to them. The unsaved or the lost are ungodly in all that they do because that's simply what is natural to them. So what does the Bible say about the acts then of those who are in the flesh? What does it look like to live life in the flesh? Well, here's a couple of things that we'll see all throughout Scripture, even here in Romans chapter 8. Number one, those who live in the flesh, they're directed by what they want, not what God wants. They live at the impulse of what they desire for the moment, what they desire for the day, what they desire for the weekend, not what God wants. Those in the flesh, secondly, don't know God And they can't understand God because they don't know God or even desire to know God. They can't understand God. Therefore, someone who does not know God cannot know God's will, cannot know the heart of God. So they don't know God. They can't understand God. Here's a third activity of those in the flesh. They're selfish, controlled by sin or controlled by the flesh. Everything they do is about themselves, is about their name, their fame, their honor, what they want to do, they're self-centered. Here's the fourth activity of those in the flesh. They are hostile toward God. Not just indifferent toward God, but hostile toward God. They cannot change themselves. If your Bible's still open, look at verse seven, verse eight. That's kind of the stark fact of facts of verse seven, verse eight. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Again, not indifferent to God, not, not neutral to God, but hostile to God, an enemy of God. For it, that mind cannot submit to God's word, cannot submit itself to God's law, cannot submit itself to God's precepts. Indeed, that mind or that person cannot. For those who are in the flesh, who operate in the flesh, who have confidence in the flesh, they cannot please God. So what about the biblical terms of of the Spirit? Again, if you're reading through the New Testament, you'll probably see some of these phrases. A biblical term of being in the Spirit, it might use the phrase walk in the Spirit. For those who walk in the Spirit or walk according to the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit. Uh, You might see the phrase living in the Spirit or worshiping by the Spirit. That's how Paul describes a believer in Philippians chapter 3. They worship God by the Holy Spirit. Church, all those are the same thing. All of those phrases, walking in the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit, living in the Spirit, worshiping by the Spirit, those are all the same thing because what it's speaking of is the saved who are acting godly because they're Christ-like and that's what's natural to them. Or maybe I should change that word supernatural to them. So this is the saved who are acting in godly ways, who are Christ-like and they, this is a natural thing or a supernatural thing for them to walk like Christ, for them to live in the Spirit. It's natural to them. So what are the activities then? What are the directions of those who live in the Spirit? We'll see this all throughout the New Testament. We'll see it in Romans chapter 8. First of all, they are directed by what God wants. That's what compels them. Those who live according to the Spirit, those who are controlled by the Spirit, those who've been set free by the Spirit, those who worship by the Spirit, they are directed by what God wants, not just what they want. Secondly, they know God and they desire to please God. And I probably should have put there, they know God and because they know God, they desire to please God. It's not out of fear, it's out of relationship. Those who are in the Spirit, they know God as Father and desire to please God as Father. Thirdly, those in the spirit are selfless, the exact opposite of those who are in the flesh. Those in the flesh are selfish. Those who are in the spirit are selfless, and they're controlled by the spirit, not by the flesh. 
Not by the sin, not, not by what they want, but instead the Spirit gives control. The impulses of the Spirit, the activity of the Spirit controls their lives. Here's the fourth thing. They are humbly submitted to God. Remember the lost person, those in the flesh, they cannot even submit themselves to God's law, but those in the Spirit, they gladly submit themselves to God himself, transforming day by day into his character. Day after day, looking more and more like Christ, taking on the characteristics of God himself. So you see here, there's a very clear distinction between those in the flesh and those in the spirit. There's a very clear distinction between those who are lost or unsaved and those who are saved, those who are in Christ. And the contrast here between those two could not be clear. And here's the contrast. The contrast, listen, is an action or behavior. That's why it says in verse 5, it uses that word live. In, in verse 4, it uses the word walk. Th- that is speaking of behavior. Paul is describing the daily conduct of those who just live according to the flesh or the daily conduct of those who live according to the Spirit of God in them. Look at verse 5 and verse 6 with me again. This is going to get deep into our heart this morning. For those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Verse 6, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. So you can just think of it in this equation. For the believer who sets their mind on the Spirit, it equals life and peace. But the non-believer who sets their minds upon the things of the flesh, it equals what? Death. Uh, Your Bible might even use the word destruction right there, but the word death might be the best word to use. It couldn't be any clearer, the distinction between the two. And so if you're taking notes this morning, this might be a good thing to write down. You live according to that on which your mind is focused. You live according to that on which your mind is focused. Or again, the word live right here uh, in the Romans 8 would be how you conduct yourself, how you behave, how you act, how, how you live your life, how you walk in this life. You live according to that on which your mind is focused. I wanted to say to you this morning, you live according to what you're focused on. But that ended in a preposition, and I knew the grammar police would be after me, and so I made sure that did not end in a preposition. Instead, you live according to that on which your mind is focused. Verse 6 says, those in the Spirit, how do they operate? They operate with peace and with life. Peace and life. That means those who are in the Spirit, those who are in Christ Jesus, they have peace with God, they have peace with their eternity, and they understand what life is. In fact, the word here means life, life that is fully alive, a live life. Life that is full, life that is rich, life that is wide, life that is high, life that is deep. How is it that we have life? Because, Christian, we have a living relationship with God. And because we have a living relationship with a living God, we can hear his voice in Scripture. And we long to worship him. We long to know him. We long to respond to him. We long to to give like him. We long to serve like Christ came to serve. And so this is what it means to live in that that life. We we desire to know God. Now, we will still have trouble, Christian. (laughs) We, We know this. For those who are in Christ Jesus, Christian, we will still have trouble. Here's the deal. We're just going to count it all as joy, though. Because there's no trouble in this world that will separate us from this living relationship with God through Christ Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit. The next thing we see here, not only those in the Spirit, but in verse 6 also, those in the flesh. What does that equal? Death. 
And that's why I think that word death is really important right here instead of the word destruction. The word death, because it's saying if you live according to the flesh, or you operate according to the flesh, or you act according to the flesh, or that's you're controlled by the flesh, what does it say? It does not say just less life. It doesn't say a smaller life. It doesn't say insignificant life. It doesn't say a selfish life. It says no life. For those who operate in the, in the flesh, there is death. There is no life happening. Here's how I'll put it in my notes this week, and I'm just going to pass these notes along to you. Here's what I wrote down. The lost are utterly insensitive to God and highly insensitive to destruction. Those who are outside of Christ Jesus, those who have rebelled against the gospel, those who have pushed back on Christ as king, the lost are utterly insensitive to God and highly insensitive to destruction. Let me explain that. The lost do not care about God's voice. They don't want to hear God's voice. They don't want to follow God's voice. They don't want to listen to God's word. But the Bible says here, they, they can't anyway. They can't submit themselves to, to God's word. They can't submit themselves to God's law. It also said here, they're insensitive to destruction. In other words, they are foolishly unaware that the repeated patterns of sin in the life of a lost person is leading them straight to death, straight to destruction. So those outside of Christ, they're insensitive to the voice of God. They can't hear the voice of God. They don't want to know the voice of God. And they're highly insensitive to their own destruction, to their own death. Let's see the opposite of that then. The saved, those who are in Christ Jesus, they are utterly sensitive to God and highly sensitive to repentance. Just look at those two things on the screen because that's a great test on whether you are in Christ today or whether you need Christ today. Because those who are lost, those who are outside of Christ, don't care about God, don't care about the voice of God, don't care about the repeated patterns of sin in their lives, again, that lead straight to death and straight to destruction. But those who are in Christ, those who operate according to the Spirit, very sensitive to the voice of God, very sensitive to what God is doing in their lives, desire to hear from God, desire to follow God, and they're highly sensitive to repentance. In other words, they were sensitive to repent when they sin. And you might say, Durham, that's my last name. Well, is it true that Christians still sin? Yes, but we resent it. We resent that sin inside of us when we make a choice, a willful choice to operate outside of who we are. You see, listen, the fullest expression of our lives, Christian, is holiness. When we sin, we're not living out the fullest expression of our lives that have been set free by the Holy Spirit. I wrote this in my notes as well, something very practical for you. You know you're growing in Christ when the time between sin and repentance grows smaller and smaller. That's how you know you're growing up, that you're growing in the faith, you're growing in, in the knowledge of Christ, you're growing in the, in, the, in the representation of Christ's character inside of you. This is how you know that you're taking steps toward maturity. When you sin, even though it's not the fullest expression of our nature, Christian, when we sin between that sin and a time of repentance, that time just grows smaller and smaller and smaller, identifying ourselves as growing deeper and deeper into Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Verse 7, verse 8, pretty stark. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Again, enemies to God. Not indifferent, not neutral, hostile to God. For it does not, that mind, that life cannot submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You know what that is? It's a biblical definition of depravity. 
To be depraved means you could be a good-hearted person, even a very nice person. We probably know all those types of people in Waco. Good-hearted people, good-intended people with good intentions, very nice people. But if they are not in Christ, they cannot please God. If they are not in Christ, they cannot please God. Now, the opposite is true, Christian, which is really good news for us today. For those in Christ Jesus, we do please God. Operating according to the impulses of the Spirit, we do please God. Let's continue on here. Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. We'll kind of finish with this little paragraph here for the day. You, however, wow, there's a turn. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Let's just begin here in verse 9. I love these first two words in the ESV. You, however, like we have just come off of some really heavy news That those who operate in the flesh, those who are outside of Christ, they cannot please God. They cannot submit to God's law. They can't even hear God's voice. They, They can't please God at all. You, however, he's talking to new creations. He's talking to you at Highland today who are in Christ, those who are in the Spirit. You, however, you, however, new creations. You, however, those who are in Christ. You're not in the flesh, but you're in the spirit. I love this phrase. If in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Dwell. It's our one Greek word for the day. I know you've been longing for a Greek word today. Here's your Greek word, okeo. Oikeo is the word for dwell. And this is so important. The the definition, the defining um, uh, statement of okeo has unbelievable implications to our salvation, to your doctrine, to your theology. Because oikeo means to take up residence in permanently, to move in forever, to become a part of that residence for eternity. You see, it's not as if the Holy Spirit kind of goes in and goes out, but the Holy Spirit, let me tell you three things about the Holy Spirit from Romans chapter eight this morning. Here's the first thing. The Holy Spirit's home is in the believer. The Holy Spirit's home is in the believer. This may rock some of your theology, but the life center that you're in right now, this is not the Holy Spirit's home. When you're not in here, it's just a basketball court. You are the home of the Holy Spirit. This is not the house of the Holy Spirit right here on just on Sundays. Because it's true that the believer's heart, the believer's life is the permanent residence, the permanent home of the Holy Spirit, here's good news. You don't have to chase after the Holy Spirit. You don't have to chase down the Holy Spirit. You don't have to beg the Holy Spirit to come to you. You don't have to go to some conference or some event and have some emotional experience for the Holy Spirit to be alive in you. This is great news. Christian, daughter of God, son of God, those who are in Christ Jesus, your life is the home, the permanent resident of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, I know the Holy Spirit came and went, but now in Christ Jesus, because of the cross, because of the sacrifice, your home is the permanent, your life is the permanent home of the Holy Spirit. He lives in you. He has taken up permanent resident, Christian. You have the Holy Spirit. Here's the second thing about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God's seal of ownership and protection in your life. 
When you're in Christ Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes and applies the gospel to your life, the Holy Spirit now becomes God's seal of ownership, God's seal of protection in your life. Let me put that into maybe a little bit more daily vernacular. The Holy Spirit is your spiritual guard. Holy Spirit is your confidant. The Holy Spirit is the one who walks with you. The Holy Spirit is the one who lives in you. And listen, if the Holy Spirit wasn't there, Christ would not be in you. If the Holy Spirit was not there, then Christ would not be in you. Prove that to me. I'd love to. End of verse 9. Look at this. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, that's the Holy Spirit, does not belong to Christ. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. The Holy Spirit is God's seal of ownership, God's seal of protection. Let's look at verse 11 now. Now we'll come back to verse 10. Verse 11. If the Spirit of him... I love verse 11. If the spirit of him, spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, Christian, then he, the Holy Spirit, who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who, here's that word again, okayo, who dwells, who has permanent residence in you. Here's the third thing about the Holy Spirit this morning. The mark of the spirit's presence is new life. New life in you. Do not miss this. If you've gotten sleepy Wake back up for this one. This is amazing. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the same spirit that lives in you. In other words, the Holy Spirit is producing new life in you. Please don't miss this. He's not tweaking you. He's not making slight adjustments in your life. He's bringing you to life. You see, the Holy Spirit woke up the dead body of Jesus. In the grave, Christ was dead. The Holy Spirit came and raised him back to life. That wasn't a tweak. That wasn't a slight adjustment. That was death to life. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing in you. Not just making a slight adjustment here and there along the margins of your life. The Holy Spirit, you were once dead, but now the Holy Spirit is bringing you to life. Literally, the Spirit himself who lifted Jesus out of death dwells in you and does the same thing in you. Verse 10, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. This could be arguably one of the most difficult verses that we've looked at so far. Verse 10, let me just kind of tell you, it could be translated this way. Christ is in you, even though the body is dead because of sin. What? Okay, let's, let's unpack this together. Our human body is subject to the principle of death. Our bodies, here's what Paul would say later on, day by day, our outer man, ladies, don't be offended, our outer person is decaying, is falling apart. If you're in your 20s, you don't believe that. In your 30s, you start to believe it a little bit. 40s, you experience it. 50s, you're like, what is wrong with my body? What, what is going on? Well, the truth is we look in the mirror and we think, man, I'm getting older. The truth is you look, you look in the mirror and go, wow, I'm dying. I'm getting closer to death. I think that probably is what hit me the most when I turned 50 last year. I, more than likely, unless I live to be 103, I am closer to death than I was closer to birth, and I am closer to birth. The mortality rate of mankind is running right at 100% right now. It's where we're headed. 
And so day by day, our, our body is giving way. Our human body is subject to the principle of death. And we understand this. And this body, these bodies are all subject to pain, to injuries, to wounds, to exhaustion, to being tired, to sickness. You see, bodily death is still the wages of Adam's sin. Bodily death is still the wages of our sin. Christians get sick. Christians die because this this flesh is unredeemed and this flesh is unredeemable. But don't get lost in that sad news. Here's the great news. But there'll never be a death again to our inner man. For those in Christ Jesus, you have the flesh and you have the inner person, the inner man. Again, ladies, don't take that poorly from, from my word selection. I just mean inside there's a new person. This is why we can read Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, and some people are confused. Wait a minute, I've been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, but Christ now lives in me. In this life that I live, I live by faith, faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself up for me. Most of people, they read that and go, wait a minute, I never recall being crucified on a tree. But your spirit man was crucified and then brought back to life by the Holy Spirit. And that spirit man, that inner man will never die again because it's hard to experience death once. This is why Jesus said also in John chapter three, a man must be what? Born again. Write this down if you want something really practical. Our inner man is ready for heaven right now. Christian, if you've been adopted by God through Christ Jesus, your inner man is ready for heaven this very moment. And that's good news because we have no idea what this week's gonna look like or the rest of this year, or the next five years. Those who are in Christ Jesus, been born again, if you will. Christians have already had that one death in our spirit man, crucified with Christ, now alive, now been born again. Our inner man is ready for heaven. It's just imprisoned in this fallen flesh. And so what we're waiting for actually is for this flesh to pass away and for our spirit to be released to live with Christ forever, which is true. When Solomon said this in Ecclesiastes chapter seven, verse one, it is far better on the day of our death than the day of our birth. See, those who are not in Christ Jesus, that's a terrifying phrase, a terrifying verse. But for those who are in Christ, who operate according to the impulses of the Spirit, who've been made alive in Christ Jesus, no longer dead, but alive, it is so true. The day of our death is far better than the day of our birth. So let me tell you a few things about the Holy Spirit in you. It will be done. The spirit in you, first of all, distinguishes Christianity from every other religion in the world. Christ in you, God in you, the spirit of God in you distinguishes Christianity from every other major world religion because in every other major world religion that God is distant or those gods are distant. And they desire to stay distanced from those who they demand worship from. There's a separation In every other religion in the world, there's a God who is apart. There's a God who is transcendent. There's a God who demands worship. There's a God who is not personal nor approachable, but not in Christianity. In Christianity, not only does God say, I am now approachable, I will now come to you in a person and not just the person of Christ. Listen, Christian, now this God says, I will move into your life and I will take up residence with you. There is no other religion in the world that's even remotely close to that. Every other religion is a God who is distant. In Christianity, it's a God who takes up residence in your life. I love this. That makes Christianity not only deeply spiritual, 
but also deeply personal. The God of the ages, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of heaven and earth, desires to move into your life. How spiritual, how personal. Second thing about the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit in you. The Holy Spirit frees you from sin by applying Christ's sacrifice for sin to you. The Holy Spirit frees you from sin, frees you from your past. I bet everybody in this house would love to say, man, I am free and I want to be free from my past. Here's the good news. For those who are in Christ Jesus, the Spirit frees you from sin, frees you from shame, frees you from your past by applying the blood of Christ to your life, by applying, by appropriating, by connecting you to the cross of Christ and the blood of Christ, which therefore frees you from your past so that all of your sins are forgiven. That's the Spirit and you, the Holy Spirit inside of you, distinguishing Christianity from every other major world religion, freeing you from sin by applying Christ's sacrifice for sin to you. Here's the third thing. The Spirit in you identifies you as perfect by applying Christ's righteousness to you. We saw this last week. In fact, you see it earlier in Romans chapter 8 that there was a righteous requirement of the law. What was the righteous requirement of the law? Perfection. Guess what? We couldn't do it. We could not be perfect. We could not match up to everything God's word had told us to do. So instead, Jesus comes and he lives a perfect life, a sinless life, a life of perfection. And the Holy Spirit now takes the perfection of Christ and puts the perfection of Christ or the rightness of Christ or the righteousness of Christ in our lives, in our hearts, in our inner man. And I said this last week, and you should say this to yourself several times this week. This is what that means. Practically, when God looks at you, he sees the perfection of Christ, the wholeness of Christ, the rightness of Christ. And here's the fourth and last thing. The spirit in you transforms you to godliness by applying Christ's presence in you. When I use the word applying, I mean connecting or appropriating, bringing the godliness of Christ, the Christ-likeness of Christ into you. Here's how the Holy Spirit then changes your heart. The Holy Spirit changes your impulses. The Holy Spirit changes your passions. The Holy Spirit changes your desires to line you up with God's character. The character of God inside of you through Christ Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, day by day by day, we're being conformed more and more. We're going to get there in a couple of weeks, more and more into the image of Christ. Who does that? The Holy Spirit. By appropriating Christ's sacrifice, by appropriating Christ's righteousness, by appropriating Christ's presence in you. That, sister and brother in Christ, is the Spirit in you. Would you stand with me, please? And I want us to read together Romans chapter 8. We're going to read verses 7 through 11 together. It's on the screen. If you don't mind just declaring this to yourself, to people around you, to your own heart, let's read this aloud together. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. 
But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the richness of your word. It's deep. But it's empowering to us. I believe that every Christian should at least strive to understand Romans chapter 8. Because in it is life and peace. Who we were before Christ. Who we now are in Christ. And the future glory. Where we're headed to in Christ. And every day in between. Father, thank you for the perfect gift of the Holy Spirit who applies the gospel to our lives, who appropriates the gospel to our lives, to who connects the gospel to our daily lives, our daily conduct, our behavior. Oh God, by your grace, we desire to operate in the Spirit. And for those who are in Christ, that's the fullest expression of who we are operating in the spirit. God, I pray for those who are watching online today, those who are here today who are not in Christ, don't care about the voice of God, do not want to follow God, living by the impulses of their own flesh. Father, we would pray also by your grace that today they would turn and believe. God, that you would set their minds on the things of the Spirit, that they might live and operate in life and operate in peace. So God, thank you for this perfect gift. The Holy Spirit, who applies all the richness and goodness and perfection of Christ into our lives. In the name of Christ, we pray and we now sing. Amen.